Okay, let's start this one with a little uh, sidebar story. You want to? So I'm hanging out, and a friend of mine comes up and says, Hey, I, there's somebody you should meet. I think you guys you get along great. So I'm like, yeah, totally. Are you kidding? I'm always looking. That's Who doesn't want to say yes to that? And they said, uh, yeah, you guys have a lot. You probably know a lot of the same people. And I'm like, well, even better. We'll have uh, good gossip and stories to tell. And then they proceeded to say, the person's from the town you're from. And I said, wow, that's even, I mean, now we're into uh, funky synchronicity or, you know, amazing coincidence, whatever you want to call it. And sure enough, the introduction happened and we talked and we absolutely were from the same place and we absolutely knew the same people, but we were pretty far apart. Um, how can I say this nicely? Uh, in age, I was a bit more of a senior to this person, but nonetheless, it was a great conversation and we had fun. And uh, it, and it it became apparent for no reason other than the person who'd done the introduction said, you guys ought to do a podcast. You're fun together. Well, you know, never one to say no to content. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So we arranged this podcast. Knowing nothing other than where the person was from and, you know, that we knew some same people. And that's it. We didn't talk about work at all. Not one word about work, what I do, what he does, what he, I mean, we, we didn't talk about that. that. That wasn't even on the topic, but we committed to this podcast and that my friends is what you're going to experience next. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I am Todd Conklin. I'll be your host. That's what I am, the host. The host person. The hoster. Hoster. Hosto? No, that sounds that sounds more serially. That sounds more like in the Cheerios family. By the way, riding my bike, somebody screamed, hey, Cheerios hat to me. There. I made it. Top of the peak. I've made it to the top of the peak. So today, we're going to talk to Chris Hansen. And you're going to learn a lot about Chris Hansen, but I'm going to tell you, it was just such a great surprise to get to meet and talk to him. What a fun thing to do. No knowledge at all of what I was about to talk about, and that is the best conversation you could ever have. Because you no know, pre preconceived ideas, you're not going in with any confirmation bias, you don't have any axe to grind. I didn't really have an axe to grind anyway, but if I had had one, I wouldn't have one. And really the ability to just hang out and talk. That was um, an excellent part of the podcast. So that was really good as well. The week was crazy for me. Um, so for some odd reason, this is a week that I decided that I would travel. And I'm kind of making up for commitments I made pre-pandemic, so three years ago. Um, but I'm almost done with those. So that'll be good. But it's just, you know, it's warm. It's warm and it's difficult to travel. Not that I'm complaining. I'm not going to complain. Uh, I am kind of, but I'm doing it subtly and kind of sneakily. But, uh, man, everything, every plane I seem to touch gets canceled. It's it's like they're, they, they monitor me and say, this is the one we should cancel. And so they do. That's exactly what they do. They, they cancel it and, and then I have to find all sorts of creative ways to get places that I didn't think I'd have to find creative ways to. But, you know, that's part of the game. I did get to enjoy some fine barbecue. Uh, and so anytime you can enjoy fine barbecue, that is a plus. And then, you know, uh, the normal stuff, lots of bike riding, 
getting ready for our little meeting we're going to have in October. Very exciting, coordinating all that stuff. I'm mostly content side, uh, and I do get to pick the executive sandwich spread because, you know, I'm really pro-executive sandwich spread. If you read my record, it's very sandwich forward. That That's what it's about. But today, we're going to talk to Chris Hansen, and we're going to talk about failure. But I'm not going to tell you what Chris does because I'll let him do that because we'll kind of both do it together. You'll see what it was like. But it's very interesting when you think about this idea of failure and how failure happens. Because people don't want to fail. I mean, failure is not something that's desirable. And yet out of failure comes much good. Because out of failure, you really get the opportunity to learn. It's like I say all the time, human mistakes, people that make mistakes, the mistakes aren't terribly interesting. They're pretty normal. Right, even though I'm taking a lot of heat for this, uh, they're pretty normal. I promise. Everybody makes mistakes. What's interesting is that what the mistake really does is it shows you exactly where in your process or system or environment you have enough tolerance to absorb a mistake and have no consequence, or more importantly, but more scary, there's no tolerance to absorb a mistake mistake and have tolerance and so or or have not have consequence that is a really important way to look at mistakes and that's kind of how you have to look at failure is failure it becomes data there's no question about it and these data that you collect well they're vital to understanding the stability of the environment in which things are happening so if a mistake has consequence if a failure has consequence it really speaks more to the lack of margin the lack of recoverability that's in that system and that's kind of the conversation we have today and it's a, it's a really fun conversation you'll like it great sense of humor i really enjoyed getting the chance to meet chris and i hope i get to hang out with him again that would be even better so without much further ado which is a little french i'm just tossing it out to you and reminding you that great things are happening uh you know what keep keep a Keep a positive outlook because I think things could potentially get better. It could accidentally happen. Who knows? Let's move into this conversation. So sit back and relax and listen as uh, you and I discover a lot about Chris Hansen. Here we go. So tell me about yourself, Chris. I know nothing except I know the most important stuff, and that is you grew up in beautiful Los Alamos. I grew up in Los Alamos, yeah. So you're you're a hilltopper. I am a hilltopper. Died injury. So if I cut you open, green and yellow blood would come I out. did, exactly. Okay, that's, yeah. that's enough. See, you qualify. <laughs> but tell me what you're doing now, because you can't be a hilltopper forever. Or can you? No. Nope, so I've moved on. So um, if I go way back, uh, I'm a mechanical engineer by training. I went to school at the University of California, Irvine, so I was an anteater. Yeah. Um, and then while I was there, I actually did an internship at NASA at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. Oh, very cool. Um, so I've worked at... Um, and then I went there, and then I never interviewed for another job again. And so I've been at NASA for almost 31 years now. Wow. And I've had a variety of jobs. Probably the most interesting one of recent times was I was the chief engineer for the International Space Station program oh, for about eight cool. years. And I joke about it because I tell people that if there's ever anything on the space station that has always functioned the way it was designed to, I have no idea how it works. But if it's ever broken, <laughs> I know all about it. So I've been able to dig into all of the, so the failures that we've had on space station. There have been some spectacular failures and, and recoveries from some spectacular um, successes yeah. in that. So it's, it's a really an amazing machine, and so I was really lucky to work on it. Um, At that level of engineering and a program with that level of attention and importance, how do you guys view failure? 
I mean, that's to, to me, the, the crazy thing, as an engineer, you'll probably resonate with what I'm about to say, but so many people don't. So many people see failure as the opposite of success, and it's not. No, I mean, particularly, I would say in our business, it's tricky because we are pushing boundaries uh-huh. of we work in a, a really extreme environment. You know, getting into, into low Earth orbit's hard enough, and when you're there, you get crazy temperature extremes every 45 minutes as we orbit the Earth. You're in vacuum, so there's, there's thermal issues, um, lack of oxygen. There's all kinds of these, these very complicated systems that all have to function together to make something like the space station work. And so failure is inevitable. We're working on very complicated systems. So I think at NASA, we, I'll say we pride ourselves a little bit on thinking a lot about we're sort of, I'll say, obsessed with failure. Right. So you think about all of the things that can go wrong, and if that happens, what are we going to do, and what does it mean? And if it's if the consequences are bad enough, do we go in and design, you know, fault-tolerant systems that can handle those kinds of failures? And so we, we try to think through everything we can. I think we're really good at it. Obviously, we're working with systems that are complex enough that right. we're not perfect. Right, of And course. so things fail in ways we never imagined. Right. You know, we'll be talking about one of them later, the yeah. UVA-23 incident. Yeah. Um, so I think failure is one of those things. I think you're right, though, that I think we learn a lot more from our failures than we do our successes. And a lot of that comes down to human nature, I think, because when we're successful at something, we tend to think that we know a lot about it. Right. When really we don't. Yeah, and it's, it's completely right. I couldn't agree more. And yeah. what's interesting is it, so when you move out of sort of the, the science space where we're, failure is really seen as an outcome and an, an important outcome, not learning is just as important as learning. Yeah. I mean, that that's huge. Yep. Yep. But you go into, like, more production space where they're making Pringles or producing Mm -hmm. fuel or whatever they do. Then failure is seen as a direct attack against operations and production, and it's always seen as negative. And the opportunity to learn goes away. But where I think it makes the biggest difference, and this is the part you have expertise in, is they don't really prepare very much for a system to fail. Sort of the belief that we can prevent everything bad from happening. So if we prevent everything bad from happening, then we never have to actually recover from anything. And it's that it's the decoupling of robustness and resilience yep. that seems really dangerous to me. And I think we can learn from you guys. Yep. I think we do learn from you, but we can learn more. Yeah, certainly. And I think a lot of that starts with us talking about it. Um, nobody likes talking about their failures. Very few people. You'd be pretty weird probably to, to enjoy talking about your failures, but it's important because right. I think that's how we learn. The other thing that, you know, sitting here listening to, to you guys at conferences like this, one of the things that really jumps out to me is one of the things we share in common. There's two things that really I think we share in common. We all work with complex systems. Right. And they all have people at the center of right, them. Right, right. We are the we are the strength and the biggest weakness of every system simultaneously. And so I think that's why we can learn from each other. And we should learn from each other because so much of it comes down to people, and and sort of human failures and how do you deal with those? As I listen to, and that's why I think that NASA has a lot to give to these other industries. I like talking to other industries because I think we have a lot to teach. Um, from our own mistakes and our own failures, but we have to be willing to do that. And, so. and you're in a place where you talk about your failures because they're so incredibly public. And they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. they're so available. I mean, we'll know when, yeah. when failure happens. Yeah. But the relationship between sort of human adaptability and complexity, as an engineer, what's your comfort level with that? How do you, how do you feel about the human part of it? 
It's um, to me, it's one of the things that's fun. It's challenging. I mean, that, I grew up as a that machine. is so non-engineering. You know that right there. Yeah, right? as a as a mechanical engineer, I grew up talking about machines and how you design them and how you make them work. Um, at, at some point in my career, really after the EVA twenty three incident, I got involved more in the EVA side of things. Now, space EVA is extravehicular activity. Right. It's spacewalking, and at the core of that system is a human, and the human is part of this machine and it's the most complex part they have to breathe and they you know there's so many there's so many interesting features and it's a spacecraft it's a human-sized spacecraft we have avionics systems and life support systems and propulsion systems and really everything in a space system all sized down to a, a human-sized spaceship with a person in the middle and everybody's different it's interesting. As an engineer, I want things to be exactly yeah, the same yeah, yeah. every single time, and people are never that way. Yeah, exactly. You know, our astronauts joke, if you want an opinion of an astronaut, ask, ask five astronauts for their, their opinion, and you'll get seven answers. <laughs> you know, And so it's just people are so complex. To me, it's fascinating. I think it's fun. It, it brings a certain element of risk to it. Right. Because now those people are, we're putting, intentionally putting people in very hazardous situations. Right. And it becomes our job to, to focus and keep them alive. How, how do you guys think about risk that way? I mean, if if you were, so one of the things I talk about a lot is that risk is really not the part of the equation that we care the most about. It's the way we build capacity to have risk. So it's the capacity that we manage, not the risk, right? And I'd be curious to see if that threads its way even through the work you do. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. I have to think about that a little bit. I know. I know. As a manager, at this point where I'm at a high enough level, I'm doing managing. What we feel like we're doing is always risk management. Yeah. So it's probably uh, not. I mean, in a loving, kind way. I mean yeah. that with as much yeah. Los Alamos yeah. hilltopper anteater love I can <laughs> squeeze. But risk is actually super dynamic. It's yes. ever present, yes. and it's actually kind of defines the work. The work itself is inherently risky. Yes. So the work you do is inherently risky. Yes. You'll never actually manage risk because risk absorbs a vacuum. It yep. hates a vacuum. Yep. It, it'll, yep. it'll move in. Yep. What we're really playing with is the fact that it's the control side of the equation that actually is accessible, verifiable, assurable, and what you can count on. And yep. so you actually build controls to actually match risk, which is a very different way to look at it. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's hugely different. Yeah. But around things like fatality prevention and high-risk work on Earth, which mm-hmm. is mostly what we specialize in yeah. the Earth part, yeah. that's had some real impact. When we look at controls, we can actually make a relatively significant impact to uh, the consequence of a failure yep not the frequency but the consequence of a failure yep. we can yep. take a failure and make it less consequential yep but that's another topic i mean we can talk about that all day <laughs> long I, i'm just curious how you guys see that and, and as a manager actually that's even more valuable because I, to me the most the most difficult thing to do is to lead a high-risk organization because you, in a sense, you have lots of responsibility, lots of authority, but not a tremendous amount of control. You can't be everywhere at once, right? And, and so you're trusting your processes and systems. You're yeah. trusting what you do yeah. to actually create that safety. That's a very cool place. Yeah, and I will say the other thing is, um, again, we go back to the people at the middle of it. One of the things that NASA um, benefits from is we have good brand recognition. Yeah, and the, totally. And the people that work at NASA, we tend to attract those people that are really passionate about the mission. Um, And so you get people that are just naturally very focused on what they do. They're very smart. They're very good at what they do. 
Um, and so I think that helps a lot. It helps keep people focused, makes it a little easier, I think, to deal with some of the, the human side of it. But you're right. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't control as best you can. But I do think we have a culture that is fairly obsessed with failure. Right. And um, we talk about it a lot. We practice a lot. When we do missions, particularly, we do hundreds of simulations um, with failure after failure. And we throw failures that don't have, a, don't have solutions. Right. That's one of the things we've learned kind of along the way. We joke, we, we actually learn things from Star Trek. Um, the whole Kobayashi Maru thing, it's true. You know, you have to teach people. We learned this in some of our investigations that some of our flight controllers told us that, hey, you know, one of the reasons we reacted slowly in this incident is because when we practiced things, there was always a solution. We always had a way through the woods. And sometimes the answer is you, you stop and live to fight another day. Yeah. And you come back inside and we give up. That's the right answer. And we weren't training our flight controllers that way. And so now we sort of shifted that philosophy that, look, some days you're not going to accomplish your mission. The main goal is to keep our crew members alive. Yeah. That's the first goal. And you might have to give up the mission to do that sometimes. And we weren't training that necessarily. Because um, simulations are expensive. There's a lot of people involved. Right. Ending a sim early, you know, impacts a lot of people. And so we, we sort of had trained ourselves to keep going, you know. But, but occasionally there's that Kobayashi Maru out there situation where you're not going to win that day. And um, so we've had to shift our thinking a little bit in that. So that's a super interesting example of kind of this knowledge evolving. What else yeah. are you thinking about now? As you think about this notion of high reliability and resilience and all the things that we're super interested in, where's your focus? There's a major shift that's happening now, and you're seeing it in commercialization. We are now leaning yeah. heavily on yeah, industry. Yeah. There is an economy that is growing rapidly in low Earth orbit, and we want that because ultimately NASA, our job is to do exploration. And low Earth orbit is really not exploration as much right, anymore right. It, we've got, and so we need to hand that off to industry as we go on forward but NASA's taking a different role we are relying we are actually accepting finally that hey look industry has capabilities um, we have the SpaceX's of the world we have those companies that have now spent decades learning a lot of these hard-fought lessons we've learned and so we've teamed with them so now it's a question of trying to what role does NASA play particularly in managing risk because we're putting our astronauts on their vehicles right, now. Right, they're right. not our vehicles. They're their vehicles. And so um, we're focusing a lot on how do we manage that risk in concert with these commercial companies? How do we do it together? And uh, is it an insurance model? I mean, what, what are you looking for? And how, are you, how are you focusing on that? We're, we're struggling with that. We're, we're so this may be a place where actually industry may be able to help you guys. Because for years, like in yep. major construction, yep. we have multiple contractors on a high-risk site building a dam or a reactor or whatever they're building, mm -hmm. they've really had to understand and learn that, that risk flow down and that control assurance and verification process. Yep. I mean, the, the whole idea of V&V, &V, especially in commercialization of, of what's happening now, yeah. is hugely important to you guys. And it really is yeah. about validation and verification. Yep. Assurance. R remembering yep. what we learned in the construction trade is that you don't manage uncertainty. And since you can't manage uncertainty, you manage the controls that actually have capacity for uncertainty. Yeah. It, it's a hard lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's very cool. What's next for you guys? So for us, <clears throat> it's about Artemis. Artemis is the big thing. Now, we, we are continuing to fly space station. We will continue to fly space station. And my number one goal is to make sure that happens safely. <clears throat> but right now, Artemis is coming online in September of this year, 2022. We're going to launch SLS, which is our next big rocket, which, wow. is, which is the rocket that's going to carry our astronauts to the moon. 
Um, we are going to carry the first woman to walk on the surface of the moon, and the first launch of that vehicle is in September of this year. Wow. And then Artemis three is right now probably late 2025. We're aiming for, and we're going to put people back on the surface of the moon. And it's different than Apollo. The, the point here is to find out how to go there sustainably. Apollo yeah. was about going there, getting some rocks, coming back, um, proving we could do it. Now it's about how do we how do we go there, learn how to live there, how to live on another planetary body, because ultimately the target's Mars. And and we have lessons that we need to learn on the on the moon before we go to Mars. So that's really a lot of our focus is kind of gearing that. And it's about bringing lots of people with us. The other thing that's interesting, probably the most important aspect of the International Space Station is the international cooperation. We've learned how to work across political boundaries to accomplish these big audacious goals. And we need international partners. And we're not going to Mars by ourselves. Nobody right. is. Right. We're going to do it together. And I think we've learned a lot on Space Station about how to do that. And um, so Artemis is going to continue that that tradition for us. And we are going to we are going to go together with our international partners. So we're in the middle right now of building those partnerships, building the equipment we need to go back to Mar- back to the Moon first, and then on to Mars. And so really, that's where our focus is over the next five years or so. Perfect. Thanks for your time, man. Yep. Thanks for inviting me. Beautiful. Thanks, Todd. What do you think? I told you you like that. Wasn't that good? It, that was just a pleasant conversation. It was fun to talk about. It was really fun to engage around this idea of what it looks like, how it happens, what the future holds, um, how engineers see failure, which is really healthy. Um, oh, but oh, but I wish all could see failure as the opportunity to learn. It's not desirable. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not something we want. But when it happens, we can use it to actually learn and get better. And this idea of learning and get better, learning and improving, learning and improving, probably don't say that enough. Even though it feels like it's all we talk about, it's pretty powerful. And it makes a, it, well, it makes a giant difference to how things happen and how work takes place. Thanks for listening. If uh, you're new to the podcast, this was a great one to jump in on. If you've been around a long time, well, you know you're welcome. It's just you and I. We've been doing this a long time. We're at 402. I'm trying to decide what to do with podcast number 420. If you have any ideas, just tell me. And the joke podcast is coming along pretty well. I got two more jokes. So I'm actually kind of amassing. It was slow and uh, kind of a slog and a lot of work, but I'm amassing some jokes are, are we got some they're happening. I mean, they're coming in. So think about what's uh, what's next. Have an excellent time. That's for sure. We're about to break into an entirely new month, which is great opportunity. Until then, learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. That's important. Um, check in on one another because we should do that more. And for goodness sakes, be safe. Be safe.